Hey guys, and yes, this podcast is for the gentlemen exclusively. I'm going to drop on you here the audiobook version of chapter two of my book, Don't Stick Your Dick in a Blender, How to Meet a Nice Girl Instead from a Tantric Husband with a Better Sex Life Than You. And this chapter has some of my best and I think also highly instructive storytelling. So you're going to want to listen up. And I'm going to tell you just a little bit about the book because you are going to want to read this book or at least listen to the audio version of it. Here's the book blurb that I wordcrafted over on Amazon. Women are dangerous, good, yet naive men routinely wreck their lives because they stick their dick in a blender, having sex with the wrong kinds of women. STDs, unplanned pregnancies, false accusations, mental health head cases, and divorce make chasing skirts a dangerous game. While lesser men retreat from the pursuit of women into the pixel-powered pleasure world, you have faith that your hunt for a virtuous woman will be fruitful. You can't take a time machine back to a more decent age to find a marriageable woman. You're not ready to give up on your genetic purpose and start banging sex robots. But you're tired of the transient, meaningless flings with mediocre women. You're likely underestimating just how risky sex, a relationship, or marriage is with the modern woman. But you're also underestimating just how rewarding it is to win the commitment of a, quote, nice girl, a truly feminine woman woman, not at war with the natural order, and intertwine your essence with hers. Don't Stick Your Dick in a Blender is an irreverent, politically incorrect exposition of the state of dating in the current year, and a playbook of counterintuitive approaches, advanced social dynamics life hacks, along with filtering strategies for avoiding the time wasters and inglorious skanks. And the ebook, the Kindle book, is available over there on Amazon. And you will, in fact, find that linked below wherever you are listening to this. I do suggest, though, that you actually go and pick it up on LimitlessMindset.com. Get it direct from me because I tried to jump through a number of hoops to get this audiobook added to Audible. And Audible was going to charge something like $25 for the book based upon the length. And if you pick it up over on LimitlessMindset.com for $8.99, you get the ebook plus the audiobook 
together. And you get it as uh, downloadable Mobi, EPUB, and MP3s as files that you will actually own that you can listen to over and over again. Or, like I said, it is a longer book. I took this topic of dating and seduction and I gave it the attention and the treatment that it deserves. It's about 90,000 words in total, which is about twice as long as most books in this dating relationship category because I have an incredible amount of research, tactics, pragmatic stuff, storytelling, and I just wanted to give guys everything that they might need. And I realized that being that length, it's a little bit intimidating. And so some of you might just want to pick out the chapters that seem most relevant to you and consume those. And so I'll give you a rundown of the chapters in the book. Chapter one is the inevitable uncondoming. Next, playing with fire, which you're about to listen to. Third, I was promised a sex slave. Fourth, dating in the post-COVID-19 era. Fifth, the secret society infiltration model for networking. Sixth, dating and marrying exotic foreign women. Next, how I met the love of my life and why I took the ultimate risk. Next, the siren song of online dating. Next, sex and dating hacks. Next, life hacking your looks. Next, seducing a virgin. Next, how to lose your virginity. Next, the hero's journey from no fab to tantric sex, and then tantric sex techniques, and choose youth over beauty. Next, the worst part of being married. Next, my wedding night with my beloved bride. And final chapter is a respite from the shoddiness of life. And then I've got some bonus reports that are included with the book, which is 100 pickup lines in Spanish, Buen Suerte, Caballeros, Dance Floor Game, Demystified, The Social Anxiety Protocol for Biohacking Confidence, Deported from Colombia, Belgrade, Smoking in Serbia, Seducing. Sofia, Bulgaria. Bulgaria is a red-pilled bastion of Western civilization. I have a review of the book Game by Rush V, which is a book that is not for sale anymore. And finally, Viviendo in Valencia. That's Spain. So I think you will enjoy this book. I think you'll find it very thorough. In fact, I look back to, I look forward to all your feedback on it. Without any further ado, let's dive into Playing With Fire. Chapter 2, Playing With Fire. I'm an unapologetic seducer. A man does not really savor life or liberty if he does not devote himself to the pursuit of that most exquisitely intimate of female embraces. The arduous pursuit of alluring female curves is the crucible through which a young man should pass. 
Modernity offers little in terms of grueling and challenging ordeals through which a boy becomes a man. I'll suggest that the art and practice of seduction is that acclivious path. No path to personal development is as terrifying, dangerous, exciting, fun, challenging, and viscerally fulfilling. I see that most base of drives for genetic longevity as inextricable from meaningful personal growth. Seduction is a tool for transformation where your genes are the wind in the sails of the ship you captain. You might be saying, Jonathan, you sound like a pickup artist. I'm not sure about pickup artists. They seem kind of sleazy. Well, all men are pickup artists. Some of us are just honest about it and devote ourselves to getting good at it. And I must be pretty good at it because I'm no longer a practicing pickup artist. I got married. You should be a bit skeptical of pickup artist gurus that never get married or into happy long-term relationships. What is between your two legs is ultimately not a toy merely for your own self-gratification. It's for procreation and to intertwine masculine, aggressive energy synergistically with inspiring feminine energy. A true seducer should eventually seduce the enduring devotion of a woman, not just her body and lusts for a night or two. Pickup should be a path, not a destination. Seduction is risky. You might get punched in the face by a jealous boyfriend in a nightclub, like I did once. But there's a much greater risk of inviting a dangerous woman into your bed and life that intoxicates your capacity to make good decisions. The government outlaws drugs that intoxicate the mind, under the influence of which we make idiotic, life-ruining decisions. If I wasn't so libertarian, I would say that the government should apply that same standard and outlaw women who ruinously abused their feminine power over men. In the wacky world that is modernity, the sexual marketplace is becoming increasingly asymmetrical, and it's very confusing and difficult for young men yearning for female love and affection. It's even more difficult to find a quality girlfriend and win her devotion and commitment. Single men are more or less looking for three things in a girlfriend. First, a woman who is attractive enough to be sexy in her own way. Second, a woman who has a pleasant feminine personality that can hold a conversation. And third, a woman with a modicum of decency and morality who isn't totally dishonest, crazy, or entitled. Just ask the single men you know if they are meeting many women who fit those three 
criteria. They'll tell you that girlfriend material, girls are unicorns nowadays. The attractive girls they meet are ridiculously narcissistic and entitled. And the girls with decent personalities are pretty unarousing. They'll complain that the sexual marketplace is totally unfair, that girls would rather be in the harem of a pseudo-celebrity guy with 10,000 Instagram followers than they would be the girlfriend of a humble software engineer that makes a $70,000 a year salary. Despite being disadvantaged by a conspicuous physical imperfection, I've managed to have a quite rowdy sex life across three continents while avoiding all the life-ruining landmines. Eventually, I met and married an extremely devoted and attractive woman, and I have less than 400 Instagram followers. So I think my experiences are worth talking about. I'll share a few entertaining and illustrative stories from my life as a seducer. The Colombian politician's daughter. At a language exchange, which are great places to meet girls, by the way. I met my wife at one, actually. In Medellin, I got to chatting with a cute and very opinionated young political science student. As a seducer, I try to be disagreeable by default as opposed to agreeable. I expressed my general disgust with politics and disapproval of her chosen field of study. She laughed, admitted that she was inspired by her father, who she described as a principled and hardworking local politician. After a bit more cheeky conversation and banter, the bar began to blast annoyingly loud reggaeton music, and we engaged in a bit of good old Colombian bump and grinding. My bump and grind form was not awful, but not up to Colombian standards of rhythm. I was pretty new to the country, which she teased me about. Pro tip. Bump and grind slow. Most guys bump and grind way too fast. We exchanged Facebook contact details, and I invited her to dinner at a local organic restaurant. I wanted to try, because... I noticed her birthday was approaching. We shared a few laughs over tasty morsels. She teased me about my poor Spanish pronunciation, and we got into a little argument about Coca-Cola, of all things. She loved Coca-Cola, and I let her know my true feelings about the demonic, fizzy sugar water. Whenever possible, when on a date, try to have a backup or secondary destination. So I had found a party on Facebook events nearby. After dinner, I took her hand and led her toward a large party hostel that was nearby. The hostel was hosting a reggae band that I thought might be fun. We crossed a bridge over a little stream, which I explained to her was the 
Rio de Medellin. Pro tip, when in foreign lands with foreign women, always treat them to a made-up bullshit geography lesson. Even though it was a bit awkward, I leaned in and kissed her, which she was receptive to. We lingered for a moment, kissing there on the bridge. Then I changed the conversation topic and we headed to the party. The reggae band sucked. Eager to get away from the screeching Caribbean tunes, I ordered us two cheap beers and suggested we check out the rooftop lounge of the hostel. The rooftop was empty, thankfully. As we kissed and caressed, I foolishly set our beers on a banister that they promptly rolled off and fell from. Later, I would joke that we almost killed a girl there because a female shriek rang out as the beers shattered on the pavement five stories below us. We promptly exited the party, glad to see that nobody was maimed by raining beer bottles. I kissed her and put her in a taxi. We'd see each other here and there. She invited me to come see her sing in a choir that she participated in. Then I had something small to celebrate, and I suggested that we get dinner and that I'd get us a room somewhere. This goes against the pickup artist dogma that you should never tell a girl your plans to sleep with her. Pickup artists suggest that you invite a girl out for a drink and then just nonchalantly invite her back to your room to watch a movie or whatever. But I'd had pretty good luck with being a bit more direct. Often, I've been in a situation where I had been on a date or two with a girl and was eager to see if she actually liked me enough to sleep with me or be my girlfriend. So I'll just suggest that we get dinner and a room together for a romantic evening. This is a step above casual sex. And if you're dating a relatively conservative girl, she'll appreciate your chivalry and likely accept. It gives her the chance to shave down there prior and wear something that makes her feel sexy. Also, in this crazy hashtag MeToo era, it mitigates the chances that she'll impulsively sleep with you, regret it, and cause you a world of trouble. In my experience, it also makes the first-time sexual encounter a whole lot more comfortable. You won't be in a huge hurry to close the deal, and you get to have morning sex when you wake up together. We did indeed have a magical night together, and she became my girlfriend, at least for a while there. But I still wasn't really culturally acclimatized yet, and I failed to deliver her that special cocktail of jealousy, passion, and drama that Colombianas demand from their amante. Russian Roulette 
I cold approached a cute Russian woman smoking at a happy hour in Denver who turned out to be quite the Slavic disaster. It turned out that she liked to drink, so we got drunk and made quite the sloppy scene, making out and groping each other. The next night, eager to impress, I invited her out on a date. I had befriended this woman who owned a nice Lincoln town car and operated a cut-rate unlicensed limo service. Pre-Uber, this was great for my dating life because I'd invite a girl out on a date and tell her not to worry about transportation. I'd just send my limo. My very chatty chauffeur friend would pick her up and tell her about how cool I was while delivering her to me. I was a real socialite at the time and had lined up quite the night of revelry. We ate a delectable dinner at a restaurant operated by a very cool guy I had met at the nightclub where I worked. Over the sushi, she mentioned that she was at the tail end of a divorce, a serious red flag that I sped right past. Then we made an appearance at a penthouse party nearby. While we made out on a 22nd floor balcony, I pointed out to her the towering new Four Seasons Hotel. She looked deeply into my eyes and told me point blank in her alluring accent. Jonathan, let's have sex there tonight. But I had one more fabulous place to take her first. Another friend of mine, a popular local rapper, was performing at a fire and ice party at a nightclub, surrounded by ice sculptures and fire dancers. I fueled our debauchery further, ordering double-shot cocktails of Patron Red Bull. Inspired by the pyrotechnics of the party, I ordered a shot of Picardi 151 so I could show off to everyone my fireball-blowing skills. But the thing about blowing fire is that you need a torch, something to ignite the liquor as you blow it out your mouth. Often paper rolled up will work, but I had none, so I took out a dollar bill, rolled it up, and lit it up on the fire pit on the nightclub's patio. But it turned out that dollar bills don't actually burn that good. Thus, I spit out the potent Picardi into the fire pit, causing a bit of an explosion. Somehow, I drunkenly splashed some of the Picardi on my face as well, and my right cheek caught on fire. I have a barely visible scar there. Now, thankfully, my buddy and my date deftly slapped out the fire on my cheek and doused me with a drink. The Russian woman brought me to the bathroom and applied her makeup to my now burnt face. My appetite for drunken idiocy finally sated. We stumbled out of the club and I hailed a taxi. 
I swiped my card at the front desk at 3.10 a.m. and we checked into a swanky $240 a night room. After that very hot night, she was downright infatuated with me. But I quickly became quite bothered by her drunken antics. I remember once she showed up at my place. We had a little champagne, but she wanted more to drink, so we drove to the liquor store. She turned the wrong way on a one-way street. She swerved and pulled a very illegal U-turn right in front of a cop. I thought, oh shit, this ridiculous woman is about to be arrested for driving under the influence. But amazingly, the cops just let her go. It also turned out that she wasn't at the tail end of a divorce. She was in the middle of the divorce, and her husband, who had paid handsomely to have her imported and naturalized from an impoverished and slightly irradiated village somewhere not that far from the Chernobyl exclusion zone, really wasn't happy with me, but he was a quintessential cuck. He put up with her bad behavior, and we even had an awkward phone conversation once trying to troubleshoot a problem with her laptop. Finally, I considered the opportunity cost of dating this indecorous woman and broke up with her. Some yelling and tears ensued. She would show up at my place drunk at night, trying to seduce me, but finally she accepted that we were over. The Evil Tax Agent I had figured out how to optimize my Facebook profile for the algorithms to attract friend requests of my target demographic of single women who like to party. This amounted to just joining a lot of the local Denver nightlife Facebook groups and marking myself as attending all the major events happening in town and friend requests from local cuties poured in. One was an attractive Mexican woman who apparently worked for the state revenue office, getting the taxpayer to pay up. I teased her, asking, so just how much did the devil pay you for your soul? That weekend, she'd meet me at the nightclub where I quote-unquote worked. Within about five minutes of meeting, we were making out and lots of sexy dancing ensued. About 30 minutes after that, we found a bit of seclusion on some giant couches in a VIP area of the nightclub. After a sexy lap dance, she unzipped my pants. I put on a condom, she pulled her shorts and panties to the side, and we had sex right there in the nightclub. Actually, the third girl I'd had sex with in a nightclub that summer. She didn't waste much time in revealing herself to be extremely exploitative. 
In between our face-sucking and fucking in the nightclub, I had invited her to join me in a boot camp-style fitness class the next morning. When she picked me up from my apartment downtown, she suggested that after the fitness class, we go for a shopping spree at the fanciest mall in town. At the time, I had pretty non-existent standards with women, and I was probably still a bit drunk from the night before, so I shrugged and agreed. As we sweated out the booze from the night before in the fitness class, I got to thinking a little more soberly about her demand for gifts and wondering just how much damage this woman could do to my bank account balance in a retail environment. I counterproposed that instead of the fancy mall, we go to a discount retailer instead, and I shamefully bought her a pair of $20 shoes. She checked off nearly every bad woman stereotype you can think of. She smoked. She really liked to drink. She liked cocaine. She was a single mother of two. She was pretty materialistic. I'd discover that she really didn't need gifts from me. She had a walk-in closet full of clothing and shoes. She would drink and drive. She would complain and gossip about her colleagues, friends, and baby's daddy. She was non-monogamous, telling me that it was okay if I slept with other women as long as I used protection and didn't bring her an STD. And she was a corrupt statist, a cog in the beastly machine of the state, extracting taxes from the hardworking Coloradan taxpayer. Although she admitted to me that she was susceptible to bribery and could conveniently make files disappear if properly motivated. At the time, I was still pretty brainwashed into the mainstream thinking that it was good that she was such an empowered, ambitious woman, having a fruitful career while raising two children and still finding time to party recklessly. A tagged photo on Facebook indicated to me that she'd lied about her plans one night that we were supposed to hang out. Somehow that finally crossed the line and I decided to break up with her, which oddly made her cry. The non-consensual kicker. I met Anne the same way I meet a lot of women, by having a very attractive Facebook profile. A thumbnail profile picture of an attractive blonde woman appeared in my pending friend requests, which I happily accepted. Flirtatious back-and-forth messaging ensued. I forget if it was her or me that expressed some interest in getting a casual drink together for the ostensible purpose of networking, which is all too often a prelude to the most casual of flings. 
I was this entrepreneurial dabbler at the time, organizing parties at nightclubs and doing online marketing campaigns for clients. Not particularly good at anything. I dipped my toes in almost anything that built my social cachet and helped me meet girls. I met her at this mojito bar in downtown Denver, where the mixologist produced several very strong mojitos for us. She looked quite hot in a tan dress that hinted at her sexy curves. We proceeded to get a bit tipsy off the mojitos and name-dropped various local celebrities we were acquainted with. She casually revealed to me that she was into the swinger alternative adult lifestyle. Not knowing better, I was enticed. She told me I was a vanilla because I wasn't really into that sort of lifestyle. A good early sign was that she was eager to impress me with her credentials as some kind of entrepreneurial businesswoman. She operated a small marketing firm, apparently was a professional photographer, and had the sort of cool photos on her smartphone to prove it. Interestingly, she also had a photo with the formal Federal Reserve Chairman of the United States, Alan Greenspan, who apparently she had worked with and who had written her a personal letter of reference. We proceeded to bar hop and get further inebriated. We dropped the pretense of networking and began face sucking in between slurping our cocktails. We left the bar in her large SUV. As we drove past an empty parking lot, she made the indecent proposal that she would fuck me right there in the parking lot if I had a condom. Preparation met opportunity as I slipped a condom out of my wallet. We hopped in the back seat. She lifted up her dress, revealing some shapely fake tits, and rode me, cowgirl, for a few minutes. It didn't last long as we lacked proper lubrication or room, but it was exciting, and I felt like a character in a romantic comedy being banged by a blonde bimbo in a back seat while still wearing my blazer and shoes with my pants down by my ankles. We went back to my crappy apartment nearby, which disappointed her, but not enough to dissuade her from spending the night in my bed. We stayed in touch, and she invited me to join her and a few friends for a night out on the town a few weeks later. We had a few drinks and laughs over some beers at a rooftop bar, and proceeded back to her rather swank room in a boutique hotel downtown. There, a friend of hers from the swinger community, a chubby pear-shaped balding man, knocked on the door bearing gifts. He broke out his stash of drugs, a little coke and some ecstasy. Not wanting to look like a square, I dropped some ecstasy with them. 
Then we proceeded to a party in the sprawling penthouse apartment perched at the summit of Denver's prestigious One Lincoln building. The party was a white party, with everyone wearing white, so we stood out, not only because of our more casual attire, but because almost everyone there was black. It was hosted by one of Denver's more upscale urban promoters, but we still managed to make friends and have fun. I had found the party the way I've found many awesome parties in my life, Facebook events near you. I think there was a $20 cover charge, but I talked our way in with a little name dropping. After taking in the expansive views for a while, we taxied back to Anne's hotel room. By then, I was getting pretty stupid off the cocktail of booze and MDMA. I think we took a sexy bath together, and then I woke up the next morning in a plush bed with a headache. A few weeks later, she emailed me about a fire and ice party that I was hosting at a nightclub downtown. She made me the very generous offer that if I could get her and a couple that she was friends with on the guest list, she would buy me dinner at a swanky seafood restaurant downtown. I was basically the one responsible for managing the guest list, so of course I put them on it. Me, her, and this rather pretentious couple shared a succulent meal and a bottle of wine. The party was a blast. After a few hours of dancing and enjoying the electrifying performance of my friend Hypnotic, we stumbled back to my place and she stripped off her designer dress. I was a bit drunk, but I distinctly recall her kicking me twice while we were having sex, non-consensually. In her kinky little sexual counterculture, probably a lot of guys and gals are into rough sex, even involving kicking, but I never agreed implicitly or explicitly, to that sort of thing. It didn't hurt much, but it showed me all the grandstanding about consent in the swinger culture is really just virtue signaling and taught me to be a bit skeptical of women who dabble outside the fringes of normal sexuality. In retrospect, I questioned if maybe I was being too aggressive in bed and she felt the need to kick me defensively. Even quite drunk, I've never been aggressive enough that women felt the need to physically reproach me. She was a very confident, empowered woman, and if I did something that really made her uncomfortable, I'm pretty sure she would have just walked out of my bedroom or apartment. The next morning, still a little drunk, we got brunch together and she aired no complaints about my behavior the previous 
night. So I think it's safe to assume that she just kicked me because it was fun for her. She would lose interest in me. Being a vanilla, I probably wasn't satisfying her more perverse desires, which in retrospect is something I'm thankful for. There's this dubious legal concept of retroactive consent. If a woman has you hit her during sex and then weeks or months or years later decides that she doesn't like you so much, she can go to the police and wreck your life, even if she verbally consented at the time. Two other troubling things I'd learn about her. On our initial date, she told me that she was 28. I think I was 24 at the time and was enticed by this sexy older woman. But later I googled her and found her date of birth on another social media profile, which said she was a bit older, in her early to mid-30s. Odd to subtract five years from your age on a first date. Also, in a later email exchange, she admitted that she had two young children, contradicting what she told me on our first date, which was that she was divorced and had no kids. I wasn't sure if I should be flattered or indignant that she had lied to me at least twice on our first date to make herself a more attractive prospect to a young player like me. But taken in whole, she earned her place in the constellation of bad women in my past. If you follow the advice of many pickup artist gurus, you'll end up dating and seducing women just like this because they advise you to sleep with any woman willing to go to bed with you. But clearly, you should be very intolerant of the kinds of red flags that were all too obvious in my episode with the non-consensual kicker. Last minute resistance. Back to Colombia. After a few years there, my skills on the dance floor had markedly improved. I'd met a cute girl, Lena. After some sexy dancing, we had a rather bland conversation and exchanged phone numbers. Disabuse yourself of the notion that seduction requires real conversational fireworks upon first encounter. All there needs to be is a little interest, and it's worth asking her for her contact details. The next morning on Facebook events, I saw that there was a gastronomic festival in town which are a great casual date idea. Girls love to peruse and nibble from a smorgasbord of cuisine. About five minutes into the date, she mentioned that she had a fiancé in Canada, Rajesh. I thought, what a time waster. Oh, well, I guess we'll just be friends. But my devious side prevailed. Jonathan, just treat this like a normal date. 
She's here, so she must be interested in you. Believe her actions, not her words. I led her by the hand to the festival. As we explored the culinary offerings, hand in hand, she obnoxiously texted Rajesh, even showing me the cute gifts he sent her. But I didn't let it phase me. I just flirted and continued making incidental physical contact. We sat down for a beer, and even though she was making things very clear about Rajesh, I leaned in and kissed her. Of course, she succumbed. After locking lips for a few sweet moments, I changed the conversation topic totally, not wanting her to get all logical and guilty about her cheating on poor Rajesh there in Canada. Sorry, Rajesh. If I can synopsize all my seduction advice to men in one line, it's if there's a slight chance that you can kiss her, go for it. Even if it's awkward, even if it's a bit unexpected, even if your bodies and heads aren't quite facing each other just right, if you detect the slightest attraction from her, just go for it. There's only upside to trying to kiss a girl. If you try to kiss her and fail, at least she knows what you want, and she knows that you're an Adasa's Fortuna Huvat type of guy. You won't be friend zone. If she reproaches you for your boldness, just apologize. Sorry, you looked very beautiful there for a moment, and I had to try. You're the woman. It's your job to resist. I know, but it's my job to try. Then try to kiss her again. If she really doesn't like it, she'll leave and by all means, let her go. If she staunchly resists kissing you, you know she's really not that interested and you won't waste your time. I'll add a cultural nuance. If she had told me that she had a Colombian boyfriend there in Colombia, I probably would have walked away from the date after five minutes. Latina women are infamous for cheating on their partners, and Latino men are infamous for getting violent revenge on guys like me. I've heard plenty of stories of murders that resulted from affairs. In fact, it's such a part of the culture that there's a legal provision in the law for crimes of passion. I wasn't nearly so worried that Rajesh would stab me in the neck with a broken bottle for messing around with his girl. I'll also add that Colombia is about as far away as you can get from the progressive dating standards in more developed countries. Women expect men to aggressively manhandle them. If they don't like it, they'll just walk away. They won't report you to the police for some kind of nonsensical sex crime which is just more libertarian, isn't it? I invited her back to the hostel where I was staying to watch a movie. 
you might think that girls wouldn't be interested in a guy staying in a hostel, but it's never been much of a problem for me. The problem was I didn't have a private room reserved. I pleaded with the hostel receptionist to get me a private room ASAP. Frustratingly, they took about 20 minutes to get me a room and a key. Good thing I had been doing a lot of game and had about 20 solid minutes of good material to keep a Colombian girl amused and guilt-free about her cheating. If we had just sat there waiting, I'm sure she would have gotten cold feet. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Finally, we were cuddled up on a bed in front of my glowing laptop playing my go-to pre-seduction movie, Devil by M. Night Shyamalan. It was time to take things slow. I would kiss her, caress her, but then withdraw and direct my attention back to the movie. I told her with a little bit of a cheeky grin, you can come over to watch a movie, but we aren't having sex. I need to Skype my family later. Don't get any ideas. I'm a nice boy. A pretty blatant lie that has worked consistently for me. It gets girls wondering why you wouldn't sleep with them. I suppose it gives them the plausible deniability that they need. She was a bit reluctant, but never told me to stop touching her or left. She eventually stripped off her clothes and asked me if I had a condom. Afterwards, she thanked me for the lovely day before hopping in a taxi. It certainly wasn't the most glamorous or romantic seduction, but it's illustrative of the power of persistence. Funnily, we arranged to meet the next week, but a chance encounter at a grocery store cock-blocked me. I was out of condoms and low on lube, so I went to the grocery store to pick some up. She then texted me about 30 minutes before she was supposed to come over, saying she couldn't come. I pressed a bit further as to why. Apparently, her mother was behind me in line at the grocery store, saw that I was buying condoms, lube, and coconuts, clearly I was up to no good, and had forbidden her from leaving the house. So, of course, I asked, how did your mother recognize me? Apparently, she had shown her mother my photos, videos, and website before meeting me for our first date. She just wanted a DVD player. In a sweaty reggaeton bar, I met Andrea, a curvaceous young Colombian girl, looking hot in white pants and accompanied by an awkward lesbian friend. My Spanish and Colombian vertical doggy style dancing technique had improved, and after a few songs and buying her a cheap beer, she was ready to leave with me. 
The obstacle was obviously the lesbian friend, but she was all too happy to leave her friend to spend the night with me when I offered to pay for her taxi to go home. An amusing little relationship ensued. This is the one girl I've dated in the past 10 years that didn't have a cell phone. She messaged me on Facebook a few weeks later, and I invited her out for a drink on a Sunday night. By this time, I had figured out a pretty good strategy for scheduling dates with the notoriously flaky Colombiana. I scheduled dates with two girls about 90 minutes apart. I'd also been talking to a girl named Isabella with really great tits, but I scheduled to meet with Andrea first because I'd already slept with her and thought it more likely that she'd show up and that I could sleep with her again. I told them both to meet me nearby the co-working space where I worked, and Andrea, being Colombian, was, of course, late. Very late. She didn't have a cell phone, so I'd need to go wait at the coffee shop where I told her to have the taxi drop her off. So I headed down and waited. And waited. She was about an hour late. Then Isabel texted me. She was there, just a block away, ready for our date. I'd have to choose. Go on a date with Isabel or wait around for Andrea to hopefully show up. I wanted to get laid and I wasn't sure if Isabel was ready to sleep with me. Andrea was a pretty sure thing. I texted Isabel. I'm sorry, I have a huge disaster with one of my websites that I need to fix now. Go wait for me at the hostel where our friend works. Then I waited and waited some more at the coffee shop. My phone battery was low and eventually died. I couldn't contact either girl now. The coffee shop was quite popular and I imagined a now quite irate Isabel walking in and finding me, not fixing my website. So I sort of hid behind a large plant. I waited and waited some more. It now seemed that Andrea was flaking on me. The coffee shop was closing up and it was looking like I had chosen poorly. But I decided to wait a bit more and finally Andrea emerged from a little yellow taxi dressed to the nines and wearing ridiculously high heels. We walked very slowly to a nearby sushi joint. She teetered along in those soaring high heels, holding onto me for balance. I imagined the fireworks that would ensue if we ran into Isabel, who might still be in the area. We ordered some sushi to go and ate it on a nice patio at the co-working space overlooking 
the city. Then we went inside the now empty and darkened co-working space. She gave me a lap dance on a white couch, stripped down, and we had some very hot, hoping to not get caught, sex right there. Funnily, I was later kicked out of the same co-working space for trying to repeat that same move. Hey, they located their co-working space directly in the middle of the raucous Medellin nightlife district. What did they expect? A few weeks later, me and Andrea met again at a nightclub. She got me drunk on aguardiente, Colombian firewater, and in between vigorous vertical lap dances, finally revealed her true intentions. She wanted me to buy her a DVD player. Bitch, please, I could make it rain DVD players. Not wanting to get in a silly argument in a nightclub at 2 a.m., I shrugged and agreed. We stumbled out of the nightclub, and for the first time in my life, I went to a sex motel. Which sounds not very classy, but in Colombia, they really know how to do sex motels. You don't have to go through the awkward process of checking in with a bored front desk receptionist. You just ring the doorbell and are ushered into a very 80s disco-esque private room with a stripper pole, hot tub, and cool lighting. Funnily, the motel employee is in the room's little refrigerator. Well, they aren't in the refrigerator. There's a corridor on the other side of the minibar refrigerator that serves as a pass-through to pay for your night's stay. On my way home the next morning with a hangover from the night's debauchery, I decided it was time to shit test Andrea. Shit test is a phrase PUAs use to describe arbitrary challenges that women throw up to test a seducer. Perhaps a more accurate phrase for them is congruency tests. I had grown a little irritated with Andrea because every time we drank together, she tempted me with cigarettes. She knew I had quit smoking cigarettes and didn't want to start again. I was also growing bored of her and really didn't want to buy her a stupid DVD player. Once I transactionalized the relationship by buying her a DVD player. It was just a matter of time before she asked me to buy her a smartphone, pay her rent, or pay for something for her bastard child. I messaged her the next day, letting her know that I hated her tempting with cigarettes and that I couldn't see myself with someone that smoked with them. Maybe she'd apologize, quit smoking around me, and not ask me again to pay for stupid things for her. But she didn't. Clearly, I've had some questionable women in my life. 
criticizing women is a significant and growing cultural taboo. We're supposed to believe that all women are wonderful. In fact, it's a well-recognized and studied cognitive bias. We're inclined to believe that women are naturally good, gracious, caring, fair, and trustworthy. I've certainly known a lot of women that were, but there's also a lot of downright vicious, deceptive, selfish, and broken women out there. In retrospect, I could have saved myself a lot of headaches, drama, stress, and some money by being more attentive to glaring red flags and having unyielding standards. Many of the pickup artist gurus teach men to just try to seduce any woman that you find attractive. This is pretty bad advice because you will end up quite literally sticking your dick in crazy. And the bad women are the ones much more likely to not make you wear a condom or tell you that they are on birth control when they are not. Is the visceral fleeting thrill of seducing a new woman worth $250,000 and 18 years of being in a legally mediated relationship with a bad person? No. Please save yourself a lot of hardship by having some damn standards, gentlemen. You might be thinking, wow, Jonathan, you're super judgmental of women. Well, I also encourage women to be judgmental of men. Having hard standards with the kinds of behavior they would accept from the men that they allow into their lives and bodies. Someone might also point out, Jonathan, you're a slut maker. It takes two to tango. Your behavior and the behavior of men like you enable the bad behavior of women. I could argue, I just enjoyed the decline. If it wasn't me sleeping with these sluts, it would be someone else. I just adapted my behavior to what worked. Before my promiscuous phase that lasted about 10 years, I'd spent about five years trying to do it the old-fashioned way, trying to find a nice Christian girl to wife up, and it really didn't work. Women are ultimately the gatekeepers to sex, and they have a little more responsibility for the degenerate state of things than men do. One of the first conversations I had with my now wife was about the word womanizer. Women almost always know when they are dealing with a womanizer. It's painfully obvious, but they often succumb anyways. Just listen to that classic Britney Spears song if you need any further convincing that they are utterly complicit in their own womanizing. And actually, I think I was perhaps a cut above the stereotypical womanizer because I always tried to leave every woman better than I found her. I ejaculated into their minds a bit of my 
passion for health, libertarianism, entrepreneurship, or personal development. Finding a good woman. After hearing my stories and countless others like them, it might be easy to adopt another bias that all women are bad, and that's also false. The next chapter will delve more deeply into how to find a woman who might just be good enough to give your last name to. But I'll make a few points. Clearly, my environment had everything to do with the kinds of women I was dating. If my wife is ever abducted permanently by aliens, I wouldn't go back to those crazy clubs I used to hang out in to find a Mrs. Roseland 2.0. I'd go to salsa clubs, I'd go to yoga classes, I'd do day game, heck, I might even go to church. Intoxication had a lot to do with my lack of standards in the past. When you drink even a little bit, your standards go out the window. If you're always drinking when you hang out with the woman you're dating, that's a bad sign. Your friends and family should be vetting the people you're dating. If your loved ones actually care about you, they'll scrutinize your lovers a bit and ask you some hard questions. Many of my friends had similarly rowdy sex lives, but they were quite lazy about using condoms, and many of them paid a very high cost that ultimately limited their freedom and fun. That millimeter of rubber allowed me to play with fire without inflaming my entire life in disaster. There's a profound line in the classic movie, The Man in the Iron Mask, where the noble musketeer, D'Artagnan, tells King Louis XIV, I think it is possible for one man to love one woman all his life and be the better for it. I love this line, and this movie is well worth a watch. It showcases old school men of courage and conviction, but I really haven't lived up to it. D'Artagnan is telling the promiscuous young king that he can devote his life to one woman and be a better man for it, which is a half-truth, a Padawan on the personal development path of seduction will have so much more opportunity to grow if they resist their provider instincts to settle down with one woman. Don't let the mainstream relationship gurus confuse you. Being a single man dating and seducing different women is more challenging than being in a relationship. Being in a relationship is comfortable. In fact, it can be so comfortable that the real challenge is resisting the tendency towards mediocrity and getting lazy about the personal 
habits that made you attractive enough in the first place. But after years, in my case, at least a decade as a single seducer, you run into a glass ceiling of personal growth in that paradigm. Before I got married, we met with a very happy conservative couple that has been married for some time. I told them that we were getting married and the wife asked me a hard question. Jonathan, I know that you've had a past with a lot of women. Do you really think you can settle down with just one woman after that? I responded that at this point in life, I really saw more opportunity for variety, novelty, and adventure with one woman than I did with many women. Women, especially the kinds of cute younger women that you'll meet at clubs, parties, or even an artisanal coffee shop, are quite cookie cutter. Give me five minutes with a 20 to 30 year old attractive woman and I can predict with almost total accuracy what her personality is going to be like, what she's going to say and what she's going to be into. Almost always it's pets, astrology, tasty food, travel and silly TV shows. She may look different than other girls, but the experience of seducing her will be very predictable. After 10 years of that, I got a little bored. They are simply the less individually differentiated sex, and there's nothing wrong with that. Now I can sit down with my woman and watch a documentary about some intellectual subject that interests me, and we'll have a stimulating discussion about it, or I'll read to her about some health or sex hack I want to try, and we'll do it together. Picking up yet another cute but kind of dumb girl at a club or doing day game and having that same silly first date conversation over and over again really pales in comparison to this next level paradigm of seduction, novelty, and growth. Also, in the past, I've been very critical of love. I mostly think of it as a very silly, intoxicating emotion that mostly drives people to be selfish. And the word itself is a radical oversimplification of a deep human drive that, like the Force in Star Wars, can be used for good or for evil. But maybe for the first time in my life, I really have fallen in love, and it's a beautiful thing. I've never loved or been loved like this before, and it's well worth the decade spent walking that precipitous, fiery path. Seduction doesn't end at the altar. There's a long game to be played that's just as rich and enjoyable.
Chapter Summary Seduction can be a powerful tool for personal growth. If there's a chance that you can kiss a girl, go for it. Be aware of cultural nuances and standards. They can make or break you. Have hard standards in your dating. If you don't think that she'd make a good mother or wife, use a condom, damn it. There are three major red flags. Smoking, drinking to excess, and being a single mother. If there's one of these flags, proceed with caution and use a condom. More than one of these red flags should totally disqualify a woman. There are over 3 billion women on this planet. Find a better one. Don't stick your dick in crazy.